0: Blog Talk Radio Blog Talk Radio Marsha Nelson. Welcome to The New Feminine Wealth. On this show, we are talking about ways that women can change their views, their their mindsets, their feelings, and their conversations about money. And the purpose is we want women to feel more empowered. Women have made tremendous strides, tremendous gains in the last two or three decades, and yet there's an inner lag where we are still thinking in an old way. We're still holding ourselves back mentally. We have our own internal glass ceilings. So we have to help each other to break through those glass ceilings that we carry with us wherever we go. One of the problems that we've been talking about in the last few shows is that women are simply, in general, much more uncomfortable with talking about money and with feeling that they are wealthy or striving for wealth, and we want to make it really, really comfortable. We want to make money and wealth a joyful subject. Today, my guest is someone I have had some fascinating conversations with myself, So, I asked her to be on this show. Her name is Kimberly Hudson. She is an entrepreneur. She has started 12 businesses of her own over the years. She also is an inheritor, and I think she will be happy and joyful to tell you that she is a wealthy woman. We've had a few technical difficulties this morning. We just barely got it worked out the moment that the music started playing. So um, I'm going to cross my fingers and make sure she's still here. Kimberly, you're here, right? I am here, Marsha. Yay. It's always nice. <laughs> it's always nice when at last the technology works, even if we have to patch it. In, uh, yes. <laughs> patch it together. <laughs> well... Um welcome, welcome, welcome
1: Thank you much. I appreciate you having me on. It's an honor,
0: sure. you know you have a unique story, although I think as some women listen they will they will see themselves in you but what what I like especially about your story is that you have stood with a foot in at least two different worlds financially you I think, or I think it's safe to say that you're a go-getter, that you're focused, and that you have a confidence that might be a little bit unusual. So that is, um, that's one part. The other part is that you've worked hard as an entrepreneur, and you'll tell us more about that, I'm sure. You've worked really hard to earn the kind of income that you were really wanting and 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 working so hard to achieve on your own through your businesses. Yes. And then at a certain point you inherited quite a sum of money which put you gave you a foot into another financial world. So you can speak from both sides of that yes. and 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 that's fabulous. So let's start by giving listeners, the opportunity to hear a little bit more about your story from you.
1: Sure, Marcia. Um, I started my first business when I was 17 years old. Um, I chose to do that instead of going to college because even though I was very successful academically in high school, I was real honestly over it. I was done. I wanted to be out in the world. Um, And so I started my first business when I was 17 and just didn't really stop. Um, the part that I love about business is the challenge, is the new ideas, the the forwarding something that might make the world a better place or might give somebody more options. And so I routinely would <laughs> either sell the businesses or if they didn't work, just disband them and go on to the next thing. Um, within that, I was very successful with some businesses, not so much with others, um, just as entrepreneurship always is with everyone. Um, but I had done well, and I had gotten to a point in my life that I was comfortable. I was financially successful and and unfortunately, um, throughout about an eight year period, both of my parents ended up um, having cancer and passing away and you know once i once I moved out of the house when I was seventeen, I didn't have any I never had any idea really what my parents Wealth was. I mean, I know they did well for themselves. Of course, we lived in a nice house and nice areas. We went on nice vacations, but they never showered me with expensive gifts. I had to buy my own car. I had to pay my own insurance. They never, uh, went overboard. So I knew they were well off, but I had no idea. And so, you know, I expected, to, okay, great, I'll have enough money to care for my parents and maybe a little left over to take a couple of trips, wonderful. Uh, Honestly, I was absolutely shocked at how well they had done. And that gave me the opportunity to to transition from being an entrepreneur and business owner in um, the realm of starting individual businesses and running them to actually being a venture capitalist, um, where I am going in and helping to fund new startup companies, and usually things that I I believe in, uh, people that I believe in, whether it's within my community or the world at large, um, and I feel very very fortunate to be able to do that. Um, and I I also feel fortunate that I do, like you said, look at wealth from both sides of the coin, both working really hard. I mean, there were times in my life, many, 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 many years, that um, that I ate beans and rice and worked one and two jobs along with ran my one or two or three businesses and didn't sleep pretty much um, in order to run my businesses, pay my employees so that my life could go forward. When I was in my 20s, I wasn't out partying. I wasn't out having a good time. I wasn't traveling, and that is certainly a choice. Um, And there's not one choice in that that's good and one that's bad. I consciously made that choice of if I do this now, if I work now, then when I'm – 40, as I'm about to turn the week, um, I have options. I can go travel the world. I can do the things I want to do. Um, if I choose to have children, which I haven't done up to this point, um, I can give them the education that I want them to have or the opportunities that I want them to have. So that's definitely a choice, and there's no good or bad to it, but it is a choice, and it's a daily
0: choice. So let me, let's. That, I want to ask some specifics about this because that's a really strong overview of what happened, a really good nutshell view. And let's go back through. When you were uh, starting out young and doing businesses, what were your aspirations for yourself?
1: Honestly, at 17 years old, I knew I didn't want to go to college just then and I knew I didn't want to work for somebody else. I I know my strengths and I know my weaknesses and fortunately being an entrepreneur plays to both of them. <laughs> <laughs> I I know i am head strong and that's both good and bad. I I know I don't listen to others all the time and I know that's good and bad. Um, but it all of those attributes are Um, my dad owned his own business for a few years from the time I was about 10 to about.
0: through that because this is so important so many people who know that they'll be leaving their kids an inheritance don't really know how to talk to them about it or how to prepare them for it and some some people don't do well when they inherit or emotionally it throws them into a tailspin. What did your parents do well to prepare you at different levels?
1: Well, Marcia, there's Numerous things that they did first of all um they were unconditionally loving um and so i never I never felt a need for anything emotionally, nor did I feel a need for anything in the physical realm however they did they showered me with experiences and love. they did not shower me with expensive gifts if I wanted a pair of designer jeans in high school, sure they buy me the regular price jeans, and if I wanted the extra, I spent my money that I earned on it. Mm -hmm. They taught me the value of work. They taught me the value of money. They taught me the value of looking at things from looking at business and life, I guess, from a detached, non-emotional, but loving place so that you can actually evaluate what's going on in your life and in your business without being drawn in to the emotional um, vortex that can happen to all of us. Um, and they taught me to think for myself. They taught me to be a critical thinker, to stand up for myself. Um, I I was incredibly fortunate, you know, I Whatever your views are, whether I was fortunate, whether I chose well coming into this life, I was incredibly, incredibly fortunate, and it shows today.
0: So it sounds like they uh, taught you to experience your own connectedness to money. As you said, when you wanted jeans, you had to pay, you had to earn the money and pay for the extra. Um, That's something that (laughs) really... Kind of across the board, kids don't do as much of these days. There's a lot of a lot given, a lot expected.
1: Absolutely. And another thing, when I did finally go to college, they didn't pay for it. They made me work for it. Really? And absolutely, they did. And I worked my way through college. I owned businesses all my way through college. And it took me about eight years, but I worked all the way through.
0: Did your parents give you any guidance in starting your businesses?
1: Um, If I asked, if I asked, and there were, there were many nights that my dad and I, once I became an adult, my dad became one of my um, greatest mentors. And my mom, too, but in a a different way, but in business, definitely my dad. And he and I would sit up late after my mom went to bed drinking good single malt scotch (laughs) and talking. (laughs) Yes, in those times, he was a mentor in business, but only if I asked. And that was really powerful because that taught me, among many other ways they taught me through the years, that they trusted me and they trusted my decision-making ability. One example of that, when I was growing up, when I was a child, um, we built several homes. And starting from a very young age, I think the first home we built, I was eight, maybe seven. Um, Very young. They actually allowed me to sit down with the architect and design my own space. Wow. Yes. Whenever we would have a big family decision, they would sit down with me as a member of the family, as a voting member of the family, and we would have a discussion about it. I was not pandered to. I was not talked down to.
0: That's pretty amazing. My family built their home, uh, my parents built a, the, the the main home for us when we were, when I was eight. Nobody asked me what I wanted. <laughs> and But, you know, we went and visited the construction site. And of course, I loved what I got. We just did, you know, of course we would. Of course. But this is very different. This is, I have never heard of this before. And, and I, I like that because it's such a huge thing. And Like you say, they didn't pander. I'm sure that just because you said something didn't mean you got it or they did it, but that you, from an early age, had the experience of being involved, of being uh, an influencer.
1: Yes, absolutely. And also, I had the experience from an early age, even before I started working for my dad when I was about 10. Um, And. My parents always would give me an allowance that was tied to what I did around the house. I had the list of things that, sure, I had to do. Okay, you are part of this family. This is just what you have to do for that. (laughs) Get over it. But um, over and above that, I had lists of things that I could do to earn money. And, gosh, I don't even – I've had a bank account. Since I could remember I don't even know how old I was when I opened up my first bank account when my parents opened it with me. I really don't remember, and but I do vividly remember the pride and the joy I would feel when my parents would take me to go make a deposit of the money that I mm. earned, and they would make sure and sit down with me and record it with me in my bank book and in my journal to make sure that I had a good accounting.
0: So you really had, you were very hands-on with money from an early age, and they taught you how to do it. And I can hear, you know, from what you've said, that you really enjoyed it. That's being very engaged with money.
1: It is, Marcia. And also I think another huge thing is my parents obviously did very well. They were humble. They still volunteered in their communities. They helped those less fortunate than themselves. Um, I knew we were well off, but I certainly never, um, and I heard them talk about being rich and it was never a big deal, but also it was never, um, put out there as something that made us better than anyone else, Mm -hmm. which I think was really important because it became just another thing that we were, like we were white or we were Protestant or whatever it was. It was just another piece of what society said we were.
0: Did you ever have friends who were envious or made you feel uncomfortable or they were uncomfortable that they maybe didn't have very much and you did?
1: Um, not until later uh, when I was in junior high, high school, that started happening happening more. But I do vividly remember, because obviously uh, with the socioe- so- sorry, socioeconomic um, strata that we were at, most of our friends were at a similar strata. And yes, we'd gone to, you know, soup kitchens and donated our time and that sort of thing. But... I remember I was probably fourth or fifth grade, and the first time I went over to a friend's house, and she was much, much, much less fortunate than I. And her family, there were five kids, and they lived in a tiny little house with three bedrooms. Um, and I remember being absolutely shocked because I didn't realize people lived like that. And I remember going home and crying to my mom, why do people live like that? And she had to sit down and explain to me, okay, not everyone earns the kind of money we do. This is that's, That takes money. And these are the ways you earn money. And some people don't do those things or aren't able to do those things. And that was really the first time I realized there's other people that don't look like I do. Yes, I'd seen the news, but but especially at that age, what you see on TV, you don't really internalize. What you experience, you internalize. And it was, I think, really an important thing for me to realize, oh, okay, okay. This is not just going to happen naturally. I have to make choices to make this happen. Okay. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Then how do I do that? And I really do think that that was a turning point for me. Um, But on to, yes, in junior high and high school, I definitely had people that, were jealous, and again, I knew we had money, but because my parents didn't bring a lot of attention to it, because we didn't live extravagantly, other than we had a really nice house and we had horses, but we didn't, we really didn't live extravagantly. Um, and it was always kind of shocking to me when people would make fun of me for living on Snob Hill. I'm like, I just on a dirt road.
0: I must say <laughs> the fact that you had a horse to ride to school <laughs> so but, but it it sounds like it it was well it was a surprise to you when when kids would say you live on Snob Hill or or make fun in that way it, it it's a gap they they were expressing that they they from their side they experienced a gap And part of the reason that was shocking to me, I
1: think, is I didn't really see that much of a gap. In fact, very often I saw them wearing the designer clothes, and I was wearing just normal non-designer clothes, that they were driving an expensive car, and I was driving a 10-year-old
0: why were you driving a ten year old beat up car?
1: I had to buy it myself <laughs> okay with money I had earned. <laughs> yeah.
0: gotcha yeah yeah well, that is so interesting because it's you know it's it's not the stereotypical picture so no, well, let's it's not let's fast forward to your, to your when your your first company your first your, your the first company you started was what kind of business
1: business and then um about a year, a year and a half into that, um maybe even two years, after reading books um I realized, wow, I am paying retail for all of my supplies. This is ridiculous. Why don't I just open up a janitorial supply company, pay wholesale for my supplies, and make money off of everybody's retail supplies?
0: other than my own. So that's what I did. So you saw saw already that was business savvy to start that second business.
1: Well, it it just makes sense to me. Why not pocket that differential instead of pay it to someone?
0: And so, how did how long did you have that business going? Both the two, I guess you had the two of them together then. At that point, I did
1: have the two of them together. I also started um, kind of around the same time an online art gallery that was technologically way before its time. Fortunately, um, somebody uh, saw the merit in it. And when I sold all three businesses, I actually ended up selling that business um, as well. Thankfully, but. Um, Anyway, uh, I had those businesses uh, with my ex-husband, so um, I guess the window washing business probably five years, um, and we grew that to be the largest window washing company in the town that we were living in, um, and the janitorial supply probably three years, maybe three and a half years, and the online art gallery only a year, and then when I got divorced, I decided to sell all three and make a new start that was not attached to my ex.
0: Mhm. So what would you suggest then Well first let me let me before I keep going with my questions cuz there's several I want to ask you. I want to let listeners know how they can contact us. Um they can you you can call in and I'll give you the number. It is 347-215-6138. 347-215 Sixty-one thirty-eight. If you'd like to talk directly with me and with Kimberly, Kimberly Hudson, that'd be fabulous. Uh, you can also uh, uh, email your questions, and the email is listeners plural listeners at Global dot com. The name Sylvia S Y L V I A. Global.com Listeners at Silviaglobal.com, and in the subject line, put uh, New Feminine Wealth Question or NFW for short. Question, and our producer will field that and get it to me. Would love to hear from you if you have any any uh, questions or or uh, experiences to share about how your parents helped you to feel very connected with money in an empowering, positive way. I'd love to hear that. Um, So let's uh, move forward a little bit here. And you evidently started a number of other businesses. Yes. And and, uh, during that time, just real briefly, what was your parents' involvement? Did they follow along with what you were doing? Did they have a good sense of what was what was happening? Did they pretty much just leave you on your own? How did that go? Well,
1: it was a combination. My parents were always very, very involved in my life. I'm an only child, um, and they were not only my parents. As I got to be an adult, they were two of my best friends and two of my greatest mentors and supporters, so they always knew what I was doing. Um, But they were both really, really adept at giving enough support but not being um, overwhelming or not telling me what to do, not influencing the choices that I was making in my life, which was really, really empowering because that told me they trusted me.
0: Yeah. I think this is so important because there are parents listening to this and wondering how to be engaged with their children around money and around their children's own ability to be financially responsible for themselves and how much to be involved or not involved. And uh, I think that what you're telling us is getting a lot of people thinking.
1: I hope so. Um, I, this is actually one of my passions um, that I would like to eventually do is to go into underprivileged parts of our country and teach basic financial education mm. and teach kids that they can make the choices that make themselves financial, financially secure and even rich Yeah. and wealthy. And they have that power, just like that moment I had when I was in fourth or fifth grade of, oh, this is a choice. It is a choice. Yes, a lot of luck comes into it. But when we act and when we put effort out there into the world, the world responds. The universe responds. And we can do whatever we want through that.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know what? I keep thinking of you with that, uh, enjoying the saving and learning to calculate your savings. Did did that turn you into a saver? Are you a saver rather than a big spender? Oh, yes.
1: (laughs) Oh, yes, in fact, it's been quite the transition. For so many years, my focus was building my own personal wealth. And building my businesses to the point that I had options. Um, that I, I saved every penny. I mean, yes, okay. I would go out if it was somebody's birthday. I would go out to eat. If there was an educational opportunity, I would take advantage of it. But I did not buy myself new clothes that weren't from thrift stores. I. I still do primarily shop, shop thrift stores, uh, except for nice shoes. I have a shoe problem. Yeah. <laughs> I've got <Why>? with that. <laughs>
0: why? Let me ask you why. Why is a thrift store is now? You don't have to.
1: Because a couple of reasons. First of all, financially, why would I go spend 10 times as much, 20 times as much, on the same piece of piece of clothing. And then when I look at the environmental and global impact of how clothing is made, mm-hmm. why would I require another piece of clothing to be made for me when there's plenty out there already?
0: Mm-hmm. So a smaller ecological footprint. Absolutely. Absolutely. We we have a question we have a couple questions comes coming in. And one is if she had to start over now I'm guessing that means if you lost everything and you have to start over. What would be your range of emotions and your first five action steps? Ooh, great question. Um, My range of emotions would probably be like any death because that would be a death of sorts because it would be
1: a, a death not only of what I have personally built but what my family had built. Um, and my, I feel a very deep personal responsibility for taking care of my family's efforts and what they built. So it would certainly be a death, and I know I would go through the stages of grief, and that would probably be the emotion. Um, the actions. Um, honestly, I would probably start evaluating and looking at what, in our society needs to be done, and what would take the least amount of money to start with the highest amount of benefit that I would enjoy doing. Um, and I know that probably all sounds very technical. Uh, fortunately, and maybe unfortunately, for answering this question, those answers tend to come to me in a very... Um, Organic way. I feel very blessed and also I think I've cultivated this through the years. Um, I have kind of a sixth sense of what's going to work in the marketplace and what won't. Um, and it served me very well. It's not always true. <laughs> but most of the time, I have a really, really, really good sixth sense. I'm really good at looking around and seeing what niches need to be filled or what things need to be improved upon. And I think, um, yeah, I think I would go forward and go, okay, it looks like I'm working a job again so that I can start another
0: business. You know, I I'm also hearing that you don't have the kind of – what's the word for this? There's a force, sort of a a psychological force, I think, inside a lot of women that makes them feel conflicted about – Getting the most money for the least amount of effort, and what you've just described is the perfect business model. What can I do? You said that you enjoy, which is important, so you're not making yourself miserable, but that you can do the the least amount of effort and have the greatest return. That's just smart. But Absolutely. so many women feel I find this because you know I've I've been a coach for twenty five years, and. So many women have such a hard time with that. They feel like they should be working really hard for whatever money they get. They should be wearing themselves out for it. And I believe that keeps them from seeing and being able to put into action the steps that would give them the most return for the least amount of effort, the greatest ease for the greatest return.
1: Absolutely. I totally agree with you, Marcia. And part of it I see as being a societal thing that our society expects. If you're wealthy, if you've done well, then you should work, 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 work and that's all you do. That is not a sustainable way to run a business or a life, period. You have to, for your mental, for your physical health, you have to take time for yourself. You have to take time for your family. You have to take time to exercise, to be physically fit and healthy, or you cannot be mentally and emotionally fit and healthy. And you have to take time for your emotional and spiritual well-being. Without those things, you cannot be successful and you cannot run a business. And this has been proven time and time again, mostly with our male counterparts. But as women become more prominent in these high-level business positions, with women as well, we see people burning themselves out. So then they have to take an extended period of time or maybe even the rest of their lives because they have to switch into a different career because they are so burned out. That is not sustainable. Yeah. The way we have crafted – um Business and the way we have crafted industry in this country is not healthy. If you look at any other or almost any other industrialized nation, there is more time off. There is more emphasis on family. There is more emphasis on health. And they are healthier as a nation for it and as a people.
0: So they don't have that guilt over having what they've earned the way – and it's so ironic because Americans have been so materialistic and yet have had a large amount of guilt over what they are either already earning or just guilt over what they want to achieve, and that makes them – sell their soul in that way, not selling their soul by doing anything bad, but by overworking themselves, making sure that there 's an inner loss, a loss to their health, a loss to their well being a loss to their uh, energy level, their sleep etc etc to 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 justify what they are hoping to achieve or what they 're already achieving. I would like our conversation, your, yours and my conversation, and you know other conversations on the new feminine wealth, to be an antidote to that. We we women really need to start looking out for each other and kindly calling each other on that kind of mindset and that kind of behavior, uh, because the baby we baby boomers, uh, which I am not you so much, but we baby boomers have hit that point where we are seeing our friends drop and looking back on it, taking better care of ourselves and not pushing ourselves so hard, being kinder, letting ourselves enjoy more ease, not being on auto-give so much to everyone but ourselves. That's been part of the problem, and to be able to go back and undo that, I think, would save lives. So right now, in these kinds of conversations, we can help each other at least make that change now and help younger women not have to go down that road. I I agree. Sorry, go ahead. I I think the strength of our country depends on it, because women are really – the backbone of the family, but also these days the backbone of small businesses. And we need women to be healthy, to to live with ease and well-being, and to feel uh, very happy in their lives rather than hoping that they get happy later.
1: I totally agree with you, Marcia. And It seems to me like we are really at this choice point as women that are successful that we can choose to create a new way of doing business and a new way of being rich and being wealthy and help our male counterparts to join us in that, because this is not just something women need. This is something we need overall as a society and as a business society. Um, And unfortunately, I think the people that are extremely wealthy have this time and have this quote-unquote luxury. And the people, those of us that are in this, um, you know, mid to relatively high level but not, like, amazingly over the top rich, um, we tend to still look at things as we need to effort, effort, effort. Oh, my gosh, I'm not doing something right now that I'm failing. And that is so untrue because the time you spend with your kids, the time you spend with your parents, the time you spend with your best friend, the time you spend going for a run or doing yoga or in your garden or reading a book or whatever it is that you're passionate about, that will feed your ability to get up the next morning and do something like An example for myself, I've recently decided, um, because I'm guilty of this as well, this is something I have to catch myself on and call myself out on almost every day. Okay, Kimberly, sit down while you're eating. Just sit down and either A, don't do anything, just enjoy the beautiful view out your back window, or... Something that you enjoy, something that empowers you. But don't sit here and stay working on your computer while you're eating. <laughs> and also, I've recently made the decision, um, m- most of my business stuff as with a lot of people really slows down and comes to a pretty almost halt in December. Uh, it's kind of a very inefficient time to work. Um, and so I made the decision. That most of December, I mean, of course, I'll handle things that need to be handled. But most of December, I'm going to take and do things that I love. I'm going to handmade gifts for Christmas for my friends and family. I am going to bake cookies. And I am going to go to lunch with friends Hmm. and go for runs and just enjoy myself for a month. Because I haven't done that in years. And it's time to. And, yes, I know it complicates things if you have kids. I recognize that. But you can still make those choices. I'm um, reading a really great book right now. It's called The Happiness Project. And it's all about choosing the things in our life that bring deep joy and happiness to ourselves and, therefore, to our external world. What, I mean, That's one of the best gifts we can give in our world. It's to be joyful. And especially if we are financially successful. If we are rich, then it is so powerful that we are also joyful and we are giving with that. And yes, it takes time, but what you get back from that is so huge. My personal opinion and what I have experienced is the time that is given out to that is given back tenfold Hmm. in the energy that I receive, the willingness of my community to support me, um, the joy that I receive, and therefore can put into the other efforts that I'm doing in my life. Yeah.
0: I want to ask you... uh, about terminology in a minute. You keep using the word rich, and I want to have a conversation with you about terminology. And we, you and I want to be starting new kinds of conversations about money, and let's do a little bit of that in a few minutes. Uh, first, I want to remind people, this is Marsha Nelson. You are listening to The New Feminine Wealth on Sylvia Global Radio. My guest today is Kimberly Hudson. She's an entrepreneur who has started 12 of her own companies, and now she is a venture venture capitalist who invests in other people's small startup companies. Um, real briefly, I do want to get to this one question before we move on to terminology, because I think there's a listener out there hanging. <laughs> I don't like that that happens, because <laughs> that's a good question. And uh, she, she wrote, this is from Georgia, what was natural in your home environment may seem unfamiliar in other homes. How do parents make your your experience natural and not overcompensated? Now, I'm not 100% sure exactly what, which thing she's referring to, but do you, what do you get from that?
1: Well, um, I'm going to answer it um, assuming, Georgia, that you're talking about how we handled wealth and how we handled uh, self-confidence within that wealth and finance. Um, Honestly, I think the best way to make it feel natural is if it comes from a place Of deep unconditional love. And I think that's something that most, if not all, parents have for their children. As long as you're going about it, and I don't have kids myself, I can only speak from the realm of what I've gone through with my parents and also what I've seen my very, very close friends go through with their children. But it seems to me like if you go forward with unconditional love and realize. That they're going to be a different human being and a different soul than you are. They might not take the same choices that I took, but they will still um, very much uh, benefit from gently and lovingly showing them how healthy and how fun money can be. And I think that's a key. My parents always made it fun. It was never, ever, ever a chore. It was always something fun. Ooh, but look, we get to sit down and balance our checkbook. This is really fun. And honestly, still to this day, if I'm feeling really stressed, one thing that will calm me down is to sit down and physically, not on QuickBooks, but physically balance my checkbook (laughs)
0: Because that connection with your money is a pleasant thing. It's You, you were programmed to enjoy it. It sounds like even before you actually understood what it was going to mean for you as, in your, as an adult. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, that's great because that's something that parents can do with kids. Kids are very in the now. And to foster that kind of really it's affection for caring for your money and for knowing where it is and what it is and it's very hands-on and i i think that's super grounding for people uh and for, it is. for kids and also
1: it's a sense of respect yeah it's a, a, a fondness and a respect almost like you would have for another member of the family
0: and it's it's really when you're in that state you're you've just described and doing it in that way, you can't that kid can't become greedy about money, which is a state of being disconnected from it, really, and can't be ever feel ashamed of money, which is on the other end of the spectrum a way of feeling disconnected it's It's very balanced and grounded yes I like that, okay, so rich, you do sing yes. rich. Uh, so if somebody says to you, well, Kimberly, you're rich, how do you feel?
1: I feel very proud of myself. And as you and I have talked about before, I have had people, uh, especially at this point in my life, with the inheritance that I have and how I am choosing to invest in businesses and There's many, many people. Where I live now, I've only lived for six years. um, There's many people that only know me as rich, that only know me as being able to make whatever financial choices I really want to make. And there's been a lot of people that have made kind of disparaging comments to that. Um, I look at that as a really amazing opportunity to talk to them and say, okay, really, how do you see me? If somebody says something disparagingly about just being rich in general, okay, great. How do you see me? You see me as somebody that's fun in the community, that's a community leader, that's a dance instructor, that holds great parties, that's a supporter of music. What do you think about me? well, I'm a millionaire, I'm rich, and And that can change people's opinion of it. That can change people's view of, oh, my gosh, I thought all millionaires were rude or were presumptuous or were mean to people or didn't support their communities And I'm the antithesis of all of those things. And the beautiful thing is, as I have gone into this new period of my life with the inheritance that I was blessed to have, instead, because I admit, I went through some of the feelings of, oh my gosh, what am I gonna be like? And even for years when I was working really hard, with all of the great financial training I had, because of our society, I still went through. Ooh, oh my gosh! Well, what if I change? If I'm rich, what if I'm not as loving to my friends?
0: So, is this but, is this when you were when you got your inheritance that you went through this? Well,
1: before I got it for many years and then once I got it. Mm-hmm. And I think before I got it it's what was yes, I had been very successful and yes, I would have reached this place on my own without the inheritance, real honestly. Mm-hmm. But um I think it had been holding me back. I think I would have reached a point of wealth and rich before the point that I would have if I hadn't have had these thoughts of, oh, my gosh, what am I going to be like? How am I going to be towards my friends? How am I going to be towards myself or my partner or my community? And the amazing thing, because it was um, in a very good way, but kind of foisted on me, um, to all of a sudden go from being well-off and successful to rich I had to really look at, okay, what choices am I going to make? And the amazing and beautiful and soul-affirming thing is I made, naturally made the choices to be more supportive, to kind of take a step back and be more kind, and be more supportive of my community. I feel like that transition into being rich that I really didn't have any quote unquote choice over, but happened anyway um, because of how it happened so quickly. I really got to look at, wow, I'm I haven't lost myself, which was a fear. That's
0: a, that's a big fear, I think. Oh yes. Let's oh, just yes. pause there for a moment. women—that's huge. I think it goes in 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 different ways. Women who are going to receive money, as you did, or or even earn it, you know. I mean, as you also were doing, uh, there is that fear. Well, when I when I get a lot of money, I'm going to lose touch with who I really am. I'm going to lose touch with others, et cetera, et cetera. And there are. And then on the other side, there is that projection that often women have who are struggling that women with a lot of money have lost touch with others and have lost touch with themselves. There's that
1: well, that association.
0: Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, there's that association of money and losing touch with self and with others.
1: Absolutely. And that's why I really love that exercise when I hear people disparaging people that are rich or that are millionaires or that are wealthy. I like to ask them, well, then how do you see me? Because I am somebody that they relate with on a weekly, daily, monthly basis. They know me. They know me in the community. They know how much I give, what I do, and that might make them look at it in a different way.
0: Yeah. You don't fit the stereotype.
1: No. (laughs) And,
0: And I would bet that most wealthy women do not fit the stereotype. I mean, I know that. And that's why it's so important that we're having this conversation. And I will mention that we're going to continue this conversation next week as well. Uh when I have talked with Kimberly in the past I've realized there is so much good stuff that comes out just when she and I are talking that we could easily do two shows. And so we're gonna uh do next week, same times, as I used to say, same bat time, same bat channel. And we will do part two, and just as a, a verbal trailer for it, what i want one of the things I wanna go into more next week is i'm gonna walk listeners through and with a little more detail what that transition was like that we've uh been mentioning today before the inheritance, when the inheritance came through, and after the inheritance. We we'll really get inside what that experience was like for you emotionally situationally, et cetera because and I know you feel this way we need to remove the mystery and get conversations going uh for for well for many for all all of all of the above reasons all the reasons we've mentioned today and um Then we'll talk for a moment now about terminology. We're going to talk much more about it next week, and then we've got some surprises too. Um, So in the next five minutes, (laughs) we're going to do two things. Um, One is we're going to uh, give – or we'll make this the second thing. We're going to give a really simple exercise that people can do during the week between now and when they tune in next week. But first, the, the reason I'm so interested that you're using the word rich is I find in general women avoid it. And I know from my coaching clients over the years, the women who had high aspirations, um, now the women I work with uh, generally are 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 already uh, high net worth or ultra high net worth women. But for many years, I've worked with women who were achievers who were wanting to get there. And I found so often when they told me what their goals were, those were goals that would make them wealthy. Uh And they might not be multi, multi, multi millionaires, and everybody has their own definition of, of what wealth is but in their own minds that would have made them wealthy and they didn't so much mind if i used that term that you're you're um achieving wealth but the moment the word rich came up they would contract so women don't so much mind wealth but they are averse to rich they're they're allergic to the word rich because it has so many negative connotations and it, isn 't it ironic? I mean they mean the same thing <laughs> wealth can, wealth wealth is money, wealth can also be other things in your life family, love, friendship, integrity, blah 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 Rich too. We can have a rich life, and that implies all kinds of other things uh around money i mean in addition to around say a wheel, and money is one of those folks on the wheel um do you find that, that, that that women are afraid to talk about either being rich or wanting to be rich? Oh,
1: absolutely. Um, and women in particular, but our society in general, we are, unless you get up to the upper echelons of wealth, and then I think people are very comfortable talking about rich, or more so men. Even then, I think women are a little adverse to it. But... Um, Definitely, in our our general society, and especially women, we are so afraid of that. It seems to me that women have this equation of suffering equals goodness. Mm. And I think that really comes from our puritanical past and um, our parts of our religious past that give us this feeling of, oh, well, if we're good as a woman, we should suffer for our man, we should suffer for our family, we should suffer for our society. Why? Yeah. Why is that true? Why can't we take joy in those things? And even down to when I'm doing the dishes, Okay, and I don't like doing dishes. (laughs) I find, I really attempt to find joy in doing that. I am making my home a cleaner, neater place. How joyful is that? Or I am depositing a 100 grand. How joyful is that? Mm -hmm. I have earned that. I have put forth the effort in my society that I should have that, or I have deemed I should have that.
0: Awesome. Let's give, we have a minute left, let's give uh, the listeners a simple thing they can do this week, and then we are going to continue this conversation tomorrow, I mean tomorrow. Uh, next week, I say I want to do it tomorrow. Um, <laughs> but um, and we're going to really break some taboos next time. We've just started today. We're going to really break some taboos next week about how women talk about money. We're going to just we're going to just do it. So, meanwhile, my suggestion is that this week, everybody listening, think about just be aware. What are your beliefs? or preconceptions about money that are keeping you limited or uncomfortable. You might be a wealthy woman, and there's a part of you that feels uncomfortable. Maybe you feel you don't deserve it. Maybe you feel afraid others will judge you if they really knew. Whatever it is, just be in touch with it. And notice how it feels in your body. If you are someone that does not feel that you are, by your standards, a wealthy, you're not a wealthy person, then notice how does the idea of becoming wealthy feel to you? Is there any dis